Speaking of which, the 29th of December will be our next one, and we're having Bob Lovett and Red Letter Edition here. That's one of our own. That's one of our own people. Got a lot of stuff going on here, but first I want to talk about Scotty and Gail. And I think everybody needs to turn around and look at, over at the camera say, We love you, Scotty and Gail. Keep them in prayer. And they've got Gail into a rehabilitation called Maranatha. I believe it's on the north side of Springfield. And as far as I could tell, when I visited them in the hospital room, uh, good attitudes. I mean, loving Jesus and certain that God's going to do a work through this and just encouraging. They encouraged me more than I know that I did them. And Gail was able to talk, and she said, last I heard, she had a good appetite, and Scotty looked good. Just just keep praying for him and hope that he takes care of himself and he'll get back. God willing, he'll be back in the saddle here maybe next week. Who knows? But I know one thing about Scotty and Gail. They are tough hombres. Well, if you brought your copy of God's Word, navigate your way to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. While I'm thinking about it, I'm going to mention a couple of things. Oh, yes. The 22nd of December is a Thursday night. They're going to have the kids program here unless that changes. So that would be a big deal. Plan on coming and uh, plan on giving up your seat to somebody if we have some guests. All right. And then also Christmas Eve service. I am getting so excited about that. That's my job to kind of organize that, and I'm, I'm anal when it comes to stuff like that. And I believe I've got Emily Flatness for a couple of songs, got Bob Lovett for one, and I'm trying to get Holly to do one. Where'd she go? Holly. Yeah, back there. Because I just love hearing her sing. I don't know about you guys. So that's, and then we'll have congregational numbers. We'll do the Lord's Supper. It's going, we'll do a candle lighting, and we're going to do it all within the framework of 45 minutes. Because that's what I told I had. So I'm going to run them through, man. I'm telling you what. But it's going to be a great night. Again, from what I hear, Christmas Eve services are sold out here. So come, plan on standing up against the wall, giving up your seat to a guest. All right? I'm serious. Got your Bibles at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Title of the message is A Sure Salvation. A Sure Salvation. Sometimes in pastors, when they preach, they can assume people know what words mean. And we've got to be careful because, for instance, for me as a 25, 24-year-old guy, when I heard the word, somebody said, are you saved? I didn't know what he was talking about. What? You mean, I'm not in the ocean drowning. I don't need, you know, I'm fine. And so when we say words like salvation, which means to be saved... Sometimes people don't get it. And what they need to understand is salvation means you've been rescued from death to life by your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it means. And there's only one Savior, friend. There really is. Everybody's searching for something. And when they find Jesus, they don't need to search anymore. I'm here to tell you. There's a sure, complete, definite salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's here today. If you're not saved, He's calling you. He's calling you. He's calling you out of the out of the depths of the sea and out of the darkness of death. And he's calling you to come to the light. And we want, even those of us that are saved, you know what? Sometimes, remember this happened at Ozark Highlands Church. And quite honestly, I don't like people to come and complain to me before I preach, you know. 
<laughs> Never forget, I was, this is, uh, I hope I keep track of what I was talking about. But this lady, I was, you know, I like to go around talking to people before, because I, I love, I told people over there at 10 o'clock, I said, I got to get over there because I love them people at the event center. And um, so I was doing that at the Ozark Collins Church. I was talking to the people and I talked to this one lady and she goes, you know what? I said, what? She goes, well, your sermon series on prayer, I'm not getting anything out of it. So don't do that to me, okay? <laughs> so anyway, these two fellas, adults, come up to me in between Sunday school and the church, and they say, we got to talk to you, Pastor. It's really important. And they're both leaders in the church. And, okay, what is it? We don't think so-and-so saved. You ought to hear what he says in Sunday school, blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm going, I'm thinking to myself, I know you two ain't saved. <laughs> you know, I'm just thinking that. It's horrible. It's horrible. In all honesty, we, each and every one of us, sometimes struggle with our certainty about if are we saved. The devil, the enemy of God, he hates God. He hates God's children. He wants to hurt God, therefore he attacks us to hurt us, so he hurts God. One of his tactics is to get us to start doubting our faith, our salvation. Start doubting the power of Jesus and the preeminence of Jesus. Start doubting the existence and the wonder of God. He does that, sneaky. We're all, we all struggle with that, it's normal. Even Peter struggled with it one of the great followers of the Lord Jesus. Another thing, guilt. The enemy uses guilt. Listen, you got saved, you got baptized, but then you still can't get over that one sin hump that you deal with. It keeps getting you. You just keep getting drawn to it. It could be pornography. That's so prevalent today. And so you you start, well, I don't know what to do, and I can't go to God because I've already been to him about it, and he gets probably tired of hearing me, and here's... There's a song, it goes, Here I am again, Lord. <laughs> that's been my, that's my theme song. Do you know that song, Jeff? Y'all do that sometime. So that guilt heaps up on us, and therefore we stay away from God. We say, well, I want to go, and, no, I'm just going to, so I just go through life, and the world starts bearing down on me, and we forget about one of the promises, cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Cast it. Don't carry guilt because it's the devil's tactic to get you to start wondering, why isn't God acting here? Why isn't God helping me? Here's what I've got to tell you. We have a sure salvation, sure and certain in Jesus Christ. And here in Matthew chapter 7, matter of fact, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Well, I'll just go through it all right now. You know, Rose, get to cooking us some dinner because we're going to have to. No, just kick it. Just kidding. And she probably would. If you look at the text, but let's, I want to kind of review a little bit. In verse 13 through 14, he talks about two types of gates. Now, what he's doing is he's making a summation upon this beautiful, amazing sermon that he's preached. And he's got his disciples right down in front of him, all 12 of them, including Judas. And he's got all these other people that are following him that are of Jewish heritage and religion. And he's told them all about the, the option they have to live in the kingdom or live in the way of man, the religion of man, 
or live the kingdom way or live the religious way. And so he's now inviting them in. He's funneling all he said right in down here into an invitation and a choice that you make. Either you're going to be in or you're going to be out. There's no in-between. There's no gray area. And we like gray area. I've lost most of mine. It's up here in the brain circle. So he's talking about two gates, two roads. He talks about two different types of uh, fruit in a person's life. And today he talks about a true salvation or a false or fake salvation. And then the next time I might see fit to come back to chapter 7, if I get the opportunity, I will finish off with two different foundations that we use. We have a sure salvation. Two groups today, those that are in, those that are out. How do I know that I have a sure salvation? Got your Bibles? Let me read. And watch the brilliance of our Lord Jesus because verse 21 through 23 seems negative, but... Really, it's speaking in a positive way. For instance, not everyone right there means, but there's some. There's still some. Are you following me? Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many, not all, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Right there, I need to pause. Are you buying into Do you believe what they're saying there in verse 22? Hmm, let's look at verse 23. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Or your Bible might say, you workers of iniquity. So therefore, what... If they're not saved, they're children of the devil. The Bible says that, not Mark Zimmerman. They're, the devil is the father of lies. They're lying and Jesus knows it. They never did anything in his name. It was for their benefit. They were name droppers, not name lifters. That was good. That was really good. Like Scotty said, I'm going to write that down and put it on the plaque. There are four things that make us sure of our salvation, but also would speak to those that aren't sure, that need to make sure that their salvation is sure. It's certain. And once we have that sure salvation, something happens. Burdens are lifted. There's a passion and a purpose and a hope that comes into your soul that helps you through every single day of your life. Have that sure salvation. The first thing we look at is the confession of his lordship. And you see that Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, but what about the ones that do? What are they confessing? Lord, Lord. That word can be translated master, master. By the way, the opposite of a master, we declaring him to be Lord, would be that we are making ourselves servants. By the way, that word has been softened in our translations, because in the original language, it's doulos, which means slave. And quite honestly, we could make an argument that everybody's a slave to something. I would rather be a slave to the king of kings and the lord of lords and serve him than be a slave to the world and the dollar. I don't know about you. So what we do is we take that position of a servant by confessing 
Jesus is Lord. Now, that might sound like that's not enough because you're saying they, they confessed him. No, they didn't. They professed him. You know, somebody can tell you, I'm the greatest fisherman in the world. I can outfish anybody. They're professing to be great, but they've got to prove it. Confession has two aspects to it. Here's the message Jesus taught. Whenever he was going through Galilee and Samaria and Judea, his message was the same. It didn't waver. It didn't change. It was this. The Bible teaches this. All right? It was this. Repent and believe the good news, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. I can enter into that life in Christ right now. All I got to do is... That word, repent, it's the only word we can use. We don't use it too much in our daily lexicon. Well, I'm going to repent about this. No, we don't hardly ever say it, but it means to change your mind. That's where the battleground is, right? It means to change your mind about who is going to be the Lord of your life. Is it going to be you? (laughs) Or is is it going to be Jesus Christ crucified? the Lord of lords, the King of kings. So we repent. We, how do we do that? By our belief, our trust in Him. I'm placing my trust. I'm placing my faith. I'm placing my tr- belief in God's grace and His Son that He sent to die on the cross for me. I'm doing that. I'm repenting. And now I've confessed Him as Lord. Bro, brother, where art thou? That was a great soundtrack. I I wore it out. And it was good for the bluegrass world. We needed it. We needed that, Dawson. I tell you what, because bluegrass is, you know, it's the greatest music. If somebody doesn't like bluegrass, you know, I think they're a commie. (laughs) Just like if you don't like baseball. I always said it about my boss. Remember Sam Goad, Doug? He didn't like baseball. I thought he was a commie for sure. (laughs) He wasn't, but that's just the way I felt about it. But in that movie, there's the wife of George Clooney. <laughs> She's got all these little kids. And she has this saying. She says, uh, I've said my piece and I've counted to three. And her mind's made up and there's no change in it. Say your piece. Count to three about Jesus as Lord of your life. I've said my peace, Jesus, you're Lord. You're my leader, my Lord, my Savior, my Redeemer, my friend. The victor over death, darkness, grave, hell, you're the one. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be your servant. A picture of this Christmas season is Mary. We're going to talk a little bit about her on the days to come, God willing. And that she actually was told by an angel that here's a 13-year-old girl. She was told by an angel, <laughs> came to her and said, you're going to have a baby. Uh, you know, how can this be, basically, is what she said. But think of all the other things running through her head. What's Joseph going to think? What are my parents going to think? What are my neighbors going to think? I mean, I'm thinking she thought that way, didn't, wouldn't you? And then God says, nothing's impossible with God. And even your relative, Elizabeth, is six months pregnant. You know what Mary said right after that, after she heard the word and the message about Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords. God sent his son, sent his son to save his people from their sins. You know what she said? I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Actually, the right language is I'm the Lord's slave. 
May it be, may my lot be done, what you have for me, Lord. And that's what God wants to hear from you. Here I am. May it be to me what you've said. Let me do what I'm supposed to do for you, O King, O Eternal King. Because let me tell you something, your soul is going to live forever, forever. You don't want to be out. You want to be in. The sure salvation has a confession of lordship, but it also has a submission to his leadership. If you'll look in the text where it says that uh, we'll enter the kingdom of heaven because Jesus invites us to repent and believe and because the kingdom of heaven is near, Jesus calls people to follow him and experience the blessings of a life following him. And that's like a, as we follow Jesus, we're, we're following in a, this just came to me, a spiritual wake. My dad had a 20-horse Evinrood on his 12-foot fishing boat, and it made a really nice little wake right back there. I was, I was always mesmerized by the wakes. Is that weird? Anyway, the, following Jesus, we get the wake of His Holy Spirit. We get the wake of His teaching. We get the wake of His blessings by simply, here it is, submitting to His leadership, you experience the wonders, the wake of heaven in your life. Now, let me tell you something, that's good. Put that into practice. Now, on leadership, he calls people to follow him. And you know how he does this? A lot of times in church. It happened to me when I had been kicking against the goad, so to speak. That means being against, being baptized. Because my mama told me I sprinkled when I was a baby, and that's good enough for her. It's good enough for me. Don't be talking bad about my mom. I get like a John Wayne on that one. Pilgrim, you can do anything you want to me, but don't touch my dog. So that in worship sometimes you'll sense God's hand coming right back here on the nape of your neck. You ever had that feeling? My dad used to grab us there. Rick, 17 months older, Mark, the troublemaker, and bam, heads. God won't do that to you, but he might get by the the nape of the neck because he wants a relationship. He wants fellowship with you. Submission to his leadership. What that word, I want to talk about that word submit briefly before I move along. It's simple. It's not a negative word. It's not a wimpy word. It just simply means to fall in line. You're going to fall in line behind the Lord Jesus, and you're going to experience the wake of your faith. Saul, it means a picture of that is something, I use this illustration a lot because it was seared into my mind. We used to go out to Colorado once a year in the summertime to visit my mom's parents who lived in Aurora, Colorado. And we would uh, take a tour of Colorado. We went up to, to Aspen, Back in the 60s, people, that's where I got my inspiration to be a hippie. I came back, I, I mean, I'll tell you what, life change, that was a life-changing experience in Aspen. Leadville, went to Leadville, went to, uh, through Mount Evans, but went to Pikes Peak, and all sorts of amazing things. But the one that really stood out to me was the uh, United States uh, Air Force Academy. And you could... When I remember we would pull by and we, we could get out of our vehicle and we could look down and see the academy. I don't know if you can do that now or not, but this was back in the free America. And 
I mean, you got to pay to camp now. What kind of world is this? Anyway, it should be first come, first serve or bigger gun. <laughs> so anyway, but what's cool is we, my dad, being a World War II veteran, he knew about that they would muster. They would come out. I think it's called mustering. They fall in. And it's, in a way, it's similar to submitting because you're falling in line. And we watched it. They kept, were coming out of the big building. It looked like somebody stirred up an ant's nest, but it started taking shape. And they started falling in line. And pretty soon they were in beautiful, amazing rows. And that's what God, by following Jesus and having that, that wonderful submission to his leadership, pretty soon you find your place in the army of God. And it is a beautiful thing to the heavenly father when he looks down and sees that you've fallen in line. Then you will be sure of your salvation because he's going to pour himself into you in a mighty way. Now, confession of his lordship. Submission to his leadership. Now, the second thing you'll see, or third, thirdly, as Billy Graham would say, you look back, he says, but only he, this is verse 21, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven does the will. That's, he's talking about being changed by our discipleship. We have to understand something. I, I can't remember if I said this in this service already or not because they're all starting to run together, but... Disciple, most churchgoers don't have a clue what that is. Is that some freaky religion? No. The word disciple is used over 250 times in the New Testament. It means pupil, student, or learner. Christians used a handful of times. Really, we're, we're called to be learners, followers, adherents. And so we want to know the will of God in our lives. We pray it. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. We pray that, right? And I shared Thursday night something. Anybody here Thursday night? Anybody? A smattering. That's awesome. Thank you for coming Thursday nights. We're having a good time. Yeah. Good food. We had, uh, what did we have? Chickens. Pulled pork. Oh, that was good. Got stuck in my teeth, but it was good. So, <laughs> Transformation by discipleship. Listen to me. Does the will. A learner or follower. A following. You're following. Here's what's going to happen. It's going to lead to new doing. You're going to start learning. And you're going to start doing. And then you're going to start seeing your sure salvation. You'll start recognizing God's hand in your life. If you would just pause for a moment. As you go through life's journey and you stop and you will kind of reflect in hindsight, yes, God worked there. Has anybody ever done that before? Have you ever seen where God's worked in your life? I'm not sure. I don't see. No, God's never worked in your life. Yes, he has. All in favor, say aye. Aye. Okay, that's all I need to know. And this gives you hindsight. Now watch this. Once you gather hindsight, you gain better judgment. And so you're coming into a new moment every day. We have a new day, a new hour. And as you take that hindsight, what you've learned from it, it gives you insight into the current reality that you're involved in. As a follower, you start learning God's Word. A soft answer turns away wrath. Instead of bickering and bellyaching and whining and fussing and fighting, you don't do it. You have a soft Oh, honey, please don't be so mean-spirited. 
I'm sorry, I couldn't resist it. <laughs> okay. This, is, this insight is the ability to interpret or respond to the present. But then, listen, by, by this discipleship, you gain the ability to see hindsight. You get this insight of how you, God wants you to act, and then you get foresight. And the foresight is this, if I may define it for you, the ability to anticipate or prepare for the future. i am still not got good foresight on listening to my wife. I'm working on it, honey. I'm trying. But you know how men are. We have our little nothing box that we live in. Here's the problem with a transformational discipleship, being a learner that Jesus says, I will make you. Here's the problem. I call it loophole living. You know what a loophole is, right? Lawyers look real hard for some way to get you off. And sometimes we look real hard to get ourselves off from God's Word and what His will is in our life. Loophole living. Example, forgiveness. That's a big one. They hurt me. They hurt me. I'm going to get them back. Hmm. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. By the way, that's the Methodist version. I can't get it out of my system. But we're to forgive. But in our loophole living, we avoid it. We turn a blind eye to sometimes our relational problems. And then what that does is that allows the enemy to start working and leveraging doubt and guilt and fear into your life. Thursday night, I shared something with the congregation that I think is so profound for me. It's been changing the way I um, sometimes think. And I think it was Charles Spurgeon. He was called the Prince of Preachers. He preached back to over 10,000 people back in the day when there were not microphones. And we all complain about the microphones and the sound system. Jesus didn't have it either. They just got close to him. See all this empty space right here? Get close. Anyway, here's what it is. Pray my will be done because your will, because I want my will to be your will. God, I want my will to be done because I want my will to be your will. Thy will be done in me. And then let that be my will, which is your will. It's kind of confusing, but really if you think about it, it's profound because it changes you. It'll change your mind. It'll help you in repentance and belief. Transformation by discipleship. Assure salvation, confession of his lordship, submission to his leadership. Transformation by discipleship. One more thing. The action of true worship. Look in verse 23 where he says, then I will tell them. Now them, that's not all of them. I'll, then I will, I will tell all of them. He doesn't say that. You've got to remember, have to remember that he's in a beautiful way speaking to both those that are going to be in and those that are going to be out. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Your Bible might say workers of iniquity or you of lawlessness. I never knew you. I never knew you. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. So what do I do? Well, my brother-in-law, Jack, always told me, you got to take some baseball boys to have a want to. 
got to have a want to. Makes them dive for the ball. You got to have a want to. Have a desire, a want to, to know him, to know Jesus. Here's the promise you have. This promise comes out of Matthew chapter 1, where the angel tells Joseph that he will be called Emmanuel. And that means God with us. So one thing you need to know, he's here. He's with you. Have a want to, to intimately know him. How do you do it? First of all, one way I do it, one way you do it, is we come to church and we sing. We sing to him. And I want to encourage you, because I do this a lot. I'll, when I'm up in my office working, I get on YouTube and Lord will lead me to a song sometimes it's related to the text I'm in and I'll put it on there and I'll listen to the Gaithers and, and all that. And this song, this I wish I just wish I had a voice, but I don't. But I love this song and you don't hear it much, but it, it helps me get the want to, to draw near to God because there's another promise. The Bible says, um, God is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. I really want to know you, God. Boom, it's done. He's going to do it. Don't doubt it. Don't question it. I want to. Here's that song. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. You don't know it? And the fairest of 10,000 in my blessed Lord I see. Have you ever heard that song? All that thrills my soul is Jesus. It's supposed to be a to me there, if you didn't know. See, that song, doesn't that just kind of stir something in you? Doesn't it? It does me. I want all that thrills my soul is Jesus, because let me tell you something. He loved me. He loved me. Jesus. The King of kings. The creator of heaven and earth. The son of the living God. The one who went to the cross and died for Mark Zimmerman's sins. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. Oh, wow. That's how you get to know him. That's how you get to know him. One more idea is just simply pursue him, seek him. You're doing, it, you're doing it today. Even lost people will find themselves sometimes going into church and that I just pray that those churches are preaching the gospel and loving one another. Well, Jesus said this, ultimately sum this up. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I've always thought about that. I don't want to be a fake I don't want to be a fraud. I want to be the real thing. I'm broken. We're broken. But he restores. I'll never forget this fellow. And Doug, you would remember him. His name was... I can't say his name. It's on Facebook. But he, he was the apprentice right after I was... I was a journeyman, but I was still doing low man's work. Finally, by the way, back when I, I'm talking about is when the people were making money hands over fist on interest rates, like 18% interest. And couldn't find a job anywhere. There were no jobs. I was so fortunate to get a job. Anyway, so uh, I don't know why I said that, but anyway. Finally, they hired a guy that came under me, and I wasn't the low man on the totem pole, even though I was a journeyman. 
And I was getting stuck with February vacations. Because the old timers had five weeks and they'd book up every, every good thing by seniority. February vacation. Finally, they hired this guy. He comes in. He's lucky to get a job. And he's got, he's got a big grin on his face. He's a big guy. And he walks like this. This is the way he walked when he first started. I'm serious. I'm not making this up. He had that, that toe lift on it. So he started working there, and we beat him up. We ran him, troubled him, made him work, did what people do in the workplace, made fun of him. He's a low man. We'd call him names. Can't say him here. And here's what, how he wound up walking after a couple of years. I'm afraid that that could happen to Christians today in this age. As we're getting beat up all the time on the television set, they're promoting an agenda that's anti-God. When we're sure of our salvation, something happens. We realize that the church is unstoppable. We realize in the power of the wonder of God Almighty in this place and what people can do. We realize we each have an important role to play in the body and we fall in line and we find joy. We want to celebrate the Lord Jesus and we're so glad that we can say to ourselves when we're by ourselves, Jesus knows me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this day and our daily bread. I thank you for this week of Thanksgiving. I thank you for those that have gone before us that celebrated it. I thank you for the president and inaugurated it. I thank you for this great country and what it stands for. Mostly, I thank you that you're here that to know that you are in charge. As this whole congregation, we join together right now, coming before you, pleading and begging on your behalf for Scotty and Gail and their family. We love them. We're thankful for their leadership. We ask you to be there in every way, shape, or form to help them. God, I have deepest gratitude for this fellowship and all that serve here and all that come here. Here's what I'm asking that when we go out into the world, that we're going to have that sure salvation and we'll see the mighty hand of God in our lives. I also pray if there's anyone here that has really not made sure that they're saved, that they'll do that simply by saying, Lord, Lord, be my Lord. I will repent and believe and follow you. I will see you work in my life and I will take that action of true worship. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.